Santiago amigos and welcome to episode 20 of the Old Man and the CV podcast. Now if you were listening last week, as I'm sure you were, you'll probably remember that this week's episode was going to be a special one. And the reason it's special is that it's just a little bit different to what we've done before. When we first had the idea of the podcast, we wanted to have four streams, topics that we'd be talking about over time. And the first one was sort of the hard mechanical stuff. How do you change a CV? How do you beat AI? How do you beat the screens? How do you ask these questions at an interview? How do you change your LinkedIn profile? You know, the hard mechanical stuff that you can do to, to help find a better role. The second one is on the, the softer side, training, skills, behavior, attitude. The third one was a mixture of mental well-being, uh, neurodiversity, uh, disability. And the fourth one, what we wanted to do was include just an interesting topic, whether it was historical, uh, military, geographical, news, political, just someone who had a lot of knowledge about something and just wanted to come on and talk about it just as a just just to give someone information that they may not know and also give them something to talk about with their family and friends or or, or even an interview. So that's what this one is about, because as you will probably remember, back in the early days of the podcast, we had as a guest Simon Williams, who was BBC documentary filmmaker for nearly 30 years and has recently converted to teaching at a sixth form college on filmmaking and documentary making and how he has transitioned himself with the skills that he has learned. But it was too good an opportunity to miss because I am fascinated watching these documentaries about the work that we don't see as a viewer. How do you get all those camera crews into place? How do you organize everything? Um, and we probably only see a tiny, tiny portion of what is going on. And I wanted to learn more about that. So I asked Simon back and said, hey, could you do us a favor? Can you come and talk about logistics of documentary filmmaking and some of the animals and wildlife that you've come across as well as personalities and let's make that into an episode and thankfully he said yeah of course I would so this is episode 20 slightly different and we've got Simon Williams documentary maker back with us enjoy so Simon welcome back thanks Andy lovely to be back great stuff now I'm fascinated by the work that you've done and as a viewer, I probably only see half a percent of all the work that goes into filming a documentary or wildlife documentary. I see the little bit. Tell our listeners about the other 99.5% that we just don't see. How does a project start, for example? Uh, well, for example, if you're doing something like a David Attenborough series and you get given a show to do, uh, you and you usually about if it's an hour long, you'll want 12 good stories in it. OK, so you and what you do is you work with researchers as a producer and you have your own ideas, too. But generally they'll come up with they'll research some really, really good stories. You'll get in touch with scientists, behavioral scientists who are working with interesting animals, studying animals. Any stories you can find, really. And we have a good, good look at them. And then you say, right, we're going to go and do this. And um, 
then the whole thing about, especially natural history stuff, is getting a lens in front of an animal uh, doing a behaviour. And that's, it's just getting that, it's all a logistical exercise of getting a very small crew normally in front of an animal doing something at exactly the right time. And that's a big, big thing, really. It can take, well, I mean, obviously there's all that, not only the planning, there's a lot of, you have to hedge your bets. You've probably seen what they call, we call them the makings of, where you, um, and I remember when that all started, they used to give you a camera and go, well, I'll do some interviews about what you're doing. And we used to do, you know, I remember I had to, you know, produce these little short making of things with David Attenborough, you know, it's really weird, like interviewing him and then we interview each other and what's going on and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, basically uh, it, it just so depends on where you're going and what you've got to do. You rely on obviously on fixers in those countries because a lot of the time you don't speak the language. So, and, and many of those countries have well-known fixers. Some don't uh, and you have to rely on people who just, no, you know, it could be quite an obsession. It could just be someone who's got an obsession with, say, I'm trying to think of a, a trapdoor spider. That was it. We were looking for a particular species of trapdoor spider in Southeast Asia. And it was a guy who was just, he was an expat. He was particularly uh, keen arachnologist. Um, and I managed to get hold of him. And we went on this. I, I had to go out there first. I was out there for five weeks doing researching some other stuff as well. But I remember going on a big trek with him. Uh, there was a massive storm. It, it was just incredible, actually. And we found this site where there was a wall of these spiders. And uh, it, it was just, it's all stuff like that, really. You have to do all that background work. Then you have to, um, usually there's a season where things are best to go or they're not. Um, and you have to try and, you know, you have to ask a lot of questions and narrow it down to a certain amount of time and um, and then get that person there. And that could be like, you know, you might need, several plane flights you might need helicopters you might need a lot of outdoor kit you might be sleeping outdoors a lot you know there's all sorts of other issues as well you know if someone's injured evacuation you know and and then then there comes a point where you really are on your own i've done that when in new guinea where we relied on an oil company a lot and they they helicoptered us out uh, they were really kind and they and they would fly us out in a helicopter out into the hills dump us off and then we'd have to walk quite a long way to go to villages with a guide and, um, you know, you end up doing that. But all the logistics, it just so depends. I mean, this, the latest series they're doing, can I, can I talk about the latest series? Yeah, right. The um, British Wildlife one, they do it Shetland, the um, killer whales. I mean, that's a massive, massive logistical exercise. You've got a pod of large mammals which come and go as they please. They're very fast. Uh, they relied on all the locals in, and on all the islands who are just pretty obsessed with wildlife to um, they set up a WhatsApp group, which apparently these locals had anyway, which was like a whale watch thing. And they and they would uh, alert when there was any killer whale activity. And then they can't, they just, they would just go. They would just, you know, they would be up there in Shetland and you would just use boats, probably small aircraft to get to the other islands and, and fast boats. And uh, yeah, just get what you can get really. It's, it's kind of, it, everything's very different. That's all I can say. <laughs> so that's, um very insightful into how you put everything together for a documentary. <clears throat> and you talked about looking for the trapdoor spider. Yeah. But what about, I seem to remember back in, I think 2008, 2009, you were involved with the uh, Red Nose Day comic relief trek up Kilimanjaro with a wow. number of quite well-known personalities. You've got all those people there. You've got this kind of pressure on those guys, external pressure too. How do you, manage the the non-logistic challenges of 
to put it bluntly, egos? Uh, what they so we they work closely with Comet Relief as well. Um, and there's not a lot you can do. You can't, actually, Gary Barlow, who it was his idea, I must say, um, he kind of invited along people who he thought would do really well. They were kind of friends, really. Uh, so it was nine of them. Um, and they mostly they were fine, actually. I mean, uh, one person who really surprised me was Chris Moyles, because I didn't expect him to be. I expected him to be quite difficult. And actually, he was quite, he was fine. He was fine. So, um yeah, and I, but once they were, what was weird was I used to have to go, so for three months beforehand, I used to go and film them in the gym or training and, uh, you know, blimey. Uh, so I'd have like Chris Moyles and Gary Barlow training together in this gym in London. I also spent time with Ronan Keating, who was in Dublin and he was training and uh, he had a personal trainer. So we, we used to just go out and film them. And what was funny was I remember being with the uh, director of the whole show. I was directing a small crew. His name's Sasha Mertz. I was a very award-winning documentary filmmaker now. Um, and um, we we were like filming all this training going on. And we suddenly thought, hold on a minute, we haven't done any training. You know, <laughs> what was interesting was we'd all had a lot of outdoor experience, all of us. And we'd done, you know, we'd been out there, got dirty, you know, got exhausted, got wet and cold and, and that's and we we were at, even though despite all their training we were streets ahead of all of them and they thought it was really weird <laughs> we were like we would run ahead of them film them coming up the hill let them overtake and then we'd run ahead of them again and meet them further up and that was kind of weird but the logistics that was massive anyway i mean but the ego thing comic relief came out with us and uh some came up the mountain with us uh, others stayed in the hotel in the was a luxurious lodge place we stayed at and uh we didn't really have that much of a problem with them to be honest with you so it, it was fine a lot of people got very ill um because they, they do and that's one of the reasons i got told to go on it because i have a reputation for having a constitution of iron so what i got a phone call from the series producer and she said to me you know, we want you've got a constitution of iron. We need you on this because we don't want any crew. <laughs> Funnily enough, on the last night I did, I missed the party. They'd all been ill up the mountain. I hadn't. On the last night, I felt sick, so I didn't go to the party. <laughs> I went to the one in London. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, but the logistics are vast. Yeah, we had 100 porters, a lot of kit. We all had tents. We never carried any of our tents. We carried our camera kit. Well, I say that. We had a guy with us who carried the tripod. That's the worst possible thing. Carrying a, you know, on a lot of shoots I've been on, um, I've had to carry a very heavy tripod on my shoulder while the cameraman carries his camera. And and you don't always get the locals to help you with that. And that's absolutely backbreaking. That is. I went to a place in the far south of New Zealand called Codfish Island, and has a very rare bird in it called the Kakapo, the last surviving population of this flightless parrot, which lives like a rabbit, burrows, it's nocturnal, makes a strange booming noise at night, calling mates, D it digs these strange sort of like uh, arenas in which it stands and does these this calling. No one is allowed on the island, no one apart from the Department of Conservation. And once a year they go and they count the chicks and we were allowed to go with them. And I had to follow this, so it was myself and a cameraman, we had a back package and I had this really heavy tripod on my shoulder. And, and the guys from the Department of Conservation were so fit. 
And by, I mind you, after two weeks of that, I was quite fit. But I remember the first few days, I was just, I can't cope with this. It was completely killing me. <laughs> it's a really heavy tripod on my shoulder. And we yomping up these big hills. But uh, it's just logistics. It's just, it's so varied for each shoot. Very, very, you know, if, if it's, some are real expeditions. You've got the crews quite big because you've got a lot of kit. You've probably got a medical officer with you. You might have a lot of camera, create a drone, different cameras. You'll have more people with you. If it's just you and a cameraman, you still have a lot of kit sometimes, a lot of bags, but a lot of lenses, a lot of survival stuff. You might be camping. But, um, yeah, you, you'll end up on your own somewhere. But still, you know, you've got to get there. And, and that's a lot of work back at home, a lot of people supporting you. So, Simon, thank you very much for joining us with your second episode, and I look forward to more in the future. Simon Williams, documentary maker, thank you again. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that special episode of The Old Man and the CV. Um, as we said at the start, it was different and would welcome your feedback on it, whether you want to email me or just comment on LinkedIn. That'd be great to hear about whether you want any more of those type of episodes. Um, Simon Williams again, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And next week, normal service will be resumed and we will be talking to Tim Smith, who has been in the music industry for, well, close to 40 years. And, um, well, I'll let him explain all about Tim next week when you tune in to the next episode of The Old Man and the CV. See you next week. Just time for the credits for the music intro and the idents. Abigail Eva Molly Wong. This is an almost pro production for 23 Magic, copyright 2023. See you next week, Santiago Amigos. <laughs>